Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome again to Faith Reformed Baptist Church. If you have your copy of God's Word, please open with me to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter number 11. The Gospel according to Mark, chapter number 11. And uh, uh, hopefully we will finish chapter 11 this evening. We'll begin reading in verse number 27 and read down through uh, the end of the chapter. But before we read, let's go again to our Lord in prayer and seek His enabling, uh, both to speak His Word and to hear and receive His Word. Oh, our Lord, we have come now to learn from you. We've come to sit at your feet. We have come to study those events and things that uh, you did, Lord Jesus, while you walked on the earth. And we know that there was not a step wasted. There was not an incident that uh, took you by surprise. There was not a, uh, not a word, not a teaching that uh, was unimportant, but you were not only living out righteousness for us so that you could impute that to us, but you were teaching us how to live. You were revealing your power. You were revealing the truth of the Word. And we thank you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. And we pray that you would expose us to the truth of your Word this evening and open our hearts to receive it and, um, and cause us to understand it and apply it in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's uh, begin in verse number 27. And they came again to Jerusalem. Of course, uh, uh, this is the third day now of Passion Week. They came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests... And the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. 
And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Well, the, to uh, get the context, we need to remember the events that have taken place. Of course, we've been in this chapter for uh, several studies now, and so you're well familiar with the events that took place. But the big thing, I think, that, uh, that stirred up the priests and the elders and the scribes was the fact that Jesus came into the temple. They didn't really like his teaching. There's uh, no doubt about that. But when he went into the temple and started overturning the tables of the money changers, and he went into the temple and began to uh, drive out those that bought and sold and uh, the, all the livestock and the things that they had in there in the court of the Gentiles where they were selling those things for sacrifices. And... Uh, and they were, and then they were using the temple as a shortcut to get to other parts of the city. And Jesus just stopped all that, and and he marched in with authority. He didn't question anything. He didn't ask permission to do any of this stuff. He just walked in like he owned the place. <laughs> And he just started throwing things out. And, and John talks about him making a, a whip of little cords and giving people a spanking. And I mean, he, he was driving people out of here. And, uh, and when they asked him at first about it, he quoted scripture, did he not? He said, is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations or all people? And I think there's a, a, a point there that Jesus is making about the fact that they had all these sections and walls that divided the Gentiles from the Jews, and, and then, you know, the priests were divided from the people, and certain priests were divided from other priests, and, and I mean, Jesus said that my house, and when he said my house, he didn't say God's house, he said my house, because he is Jehovah incarnate. And so he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, a place of congregation, a place of worship, a place of coming together to seek me for all people. All people. Now, Israel had never gotten that. They knew the promise to Abraham was that... Uh, he would be blessed and his descendants would be blessed and they would be multiplied and they would uh, have all these things. But what, 
what they didn't get was the second part of God's promise to Abraham was that uh, uh, they would that he would be a blessing to all nations. In his seed, all nations would be blessed. And Israel went to great lengths to isolate themselves from all nations. Instead of being a blessing to nations, they looked down on nations, did they not? They used the term for the Gentiles that they were dogs. They were unclean. We talked about how that they went to the uh, they they went to the marketplaces and they were so fearful of being contaminated by the cooties of the Gentiles that they uh, would come back and wouldn't even eat, wouldn't do anything until they had done this elaborate ceremony of work washing their hands to make sure that they weren't defiled by touching a Gentile or touching something that a Gentile had touched. And, and so this was the attitude that they had toward other nations. Rather than being a blessing to them, they looked down on them. They felt superior to them. And so uh, this was a confrontation by Jesus. And let me say this, Jesus was, uh, uh, how can I say it? He, he triggered them. You know, all this time he has, uh, and we, we talked about it, Russ just talked about it a moment ago in the reading of the scripture, how that uh, uh, he had been telling people, now, don't tell anybody this, don't tell, because his time had not yet come. And by that, he means the time that he came to give himself as a sacrifice. The time that he would lay down his life. And that had to be perfectly orchestrated, didn't it? It had to be right on time. And let me tell you how orchestrated it was. Have you ever, have you ever heard of a fellow by the name of Sir Robert Anderson? Sir Robert Anderson did the math to figure out Daniel's uh, prophecy about the Messiah being cut off. And he did all the, uh, the math and figured up the time. And he figured up, and according to Sir Robert Anderson, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey on the very day that it was prophesied. So all this thing is being perfectly orchestrated. And so when Jesus said these things and did these things, he triggered the very people that would put him to death. And who were they? Who were these people who came to question Jesus' authority? Verse 27, they came again to Jerusalem, that's Jesus and his disciples, and as he was walking in the temple, and uh, I believe Luke and Matthew both tell us that he was teaching in the temple, 
the chief priests and scribes and elders came to him. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Now, was this a surprise? Did Jesus look up and say, uh-oh? No, because if you uh, remember, back in chapter 8, and verse number 31, listen to what he said. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by, now, who is it? Elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed. So he was not taken by surprise at all. The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders are the ones who confronted him. The chief priest refers to the uh, ruling priest. There's, uh, there were uh, 24 courses of priests who took turns ministering in the temple, but then there were the chief priest and the, uh, uh, the almost chief priest and the higher up ones, the hierarchy, and the uh, uh, ruling priests, who uh, many of them were uh, very close to the high priest himself in uh, his family. And so these were some of the people that were included in this. And then the scribes, uh, we think of scribes when we read scribes, we think of those who just copied the law. But actually, what the scribes were, uh, they're called in some places lawyers. They were experts in the law of Moses and the elders. The elders were men who were older and deserving of a sense of respect. They were kind of like community leaders. And so uh, some of the commentators that I read, a matter of fact, several of them said that this was probably something like the Sanhedrin. Uh, we can't prove that, but there were 70 or 71 members of the Sanhedrin, actually 70 members plus the high priest. So that made 71 but that was the Jewish Supreme Court. And he was in a place where uh, uh, they could get to it. And he also knew that their desire was to kill him. And so uh, here comes the people who actually politically have the power to make things very difficult for him. Well, what were they upset about? What was their question? They came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? They were offended that Jesus was acting in the authority that they believed that belonged only to them to use or to grant. 
they believed that they were the only ones that had any authority because their authority was de uh, derived from others. They were, the priesthood is passed down from generation to generation, the family of the Levites and, and uh, all these, uh, these community leaders, these elders and these, uh, uh, these religious leaders were people who uh, felt like that they were the descendants of the 70 that uh, Moses used and chose. And so, they said, who gave you that authority? When they taught, they always quoted someone. <laughs> they didn't say, they didn't say, I say. They said, uh, Rabbi Hillel says. And they quoted someone because they believed that everything they taught had to be passed down and their positions was passed down and their authority came from all of this in the past. But the problem, that might have been okay if they were right. But the problem was that uh, the stuff that was being passed down was wrong. We found that out in chapter 7, didn't we? Those traditions that were being passed down were wrong. And so uh, they felt like they had authority. And uh, Jesus was interfering with their authority. That he's exercising the authority that only they had the right to exercise. And if they weren't exercising it, they could allow someone else to. So who told you you could go into the temple? And act like it was your house. And the word they use here is uh, the word exosia. There's two words that, uh, or two main words that are translated from the Greek into uh, our English Bibles. Uh, one is the word exosia. Sometimes it's called power or it's translated power. Sometimes it's translated authority. And then there is the word uh, dunamis, uh, which means inherent power. And, uh, and, and so dunamis is like the ability to do something. Exosia is the authority to do something. Exosia means it's a legal right or delegated authority. Permission, you might say. Because the Israel, these religious leaders had no category for inherent authority. They didn't have a category for that. And so... Jesus was acting on inherent authority. He already had the authority. He acted uh, with authority when he cleansed the temple. He acted and he taught with authority when he taught people. Listen, in Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, this has always uh, been one of those 
powerful to me. It's been one of those very powerful passages. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 28 and 29. Listen to what the scripture says about at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So how was he doing that? What does that mean? Well, as I said, the scribes always wanted to quote some ancient authority for what they said and what they taught. But Jesus said, you have read that, uh, uh, that it was said or you've been taught that if you uh, uh, commit adultery, that you shouldn't, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, but I say unto you, you look upon a woman to lust after her. You've committed adultery with her already in your heart. You see, Jesus was talking with authority. He was teaching with authority. He taught and acted in authority. Well, let me, let me go back to Mark chapter 1 and show you another passage of Scripture on Jesus' teaching with authority. In verse number uh, 21 and 22. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. In uh, uh, chapter Again, in chapter 1 and verse 27, listen to what this says. It says that he taught and acted with authority. Listen. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. So he didn't just teach with authority, but everything he did was with authority. In chapter 2 and verse number 10, Mark chapter 2, verse number 10. After he had healed this uh, paralytic and the language he used, you know, we've talked about this several times, but the language he used was this, your sins are forgiven you. And they got all upset. This is blasphemy. Who, who can forgive sins but God? Well, no one can forgive sins but God, but no one can heal a paralytic but God either. And so it didn't make any difference if Jesus said your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk. Either way, only God can do that. But he said, your sins are forgiven, uh, which is easier to say to a paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. So Jesus has inherent authority. 
He not only exhibited the right or authority to act and to teach and to command, but also the power, the dunamis, the power to accomplish what he taught or what he commanded. When he commanded a demon to depart, the demon had no choice in the matter. Because Jesus didn't just have the permission to say come out of him, he had the power to make it stick. <laughs> right? And so Jesus has both inherent authority and ability. He has inherent authority and inherent power because of his divinity. He is God. Make sure I'm not turning over two pages. So he had authority to do the things that he had done from the word of God. Now here's the answer to uh, the question. Where'd you get this authority? Where'd this authority come from? Well, Jesus had authority because of his deity, because he was God, but he also had the authority of the word of God. Do you remember how that everything that he has done so far has been tied to scripture? So he felt like he could walk boldly into the temple and drive out all those money changers and all those people who were defiling the place. He felt like that he could walk in there like he owned the place because he had scripture to back him up. I think you and I need to learn that lesson too. We don't have to fear anyone as long as what we're doing and what we're testifying and what we're saying can be backed up by Scripture. We can feel, we can feel at liberty, even to some degree at peace in rebuking sin wherever we are if it is done scripturally. In accordance with God's word. Jesus never acted outside the authority of scripture. And when he threw overthrew the money changers tables. And when he did all that. He was obeying or he was basing it on Isaiah chapter 6. Or chapter 56 verses 6 and 7. And Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 11. He was basing it on those passages of scripture. And then John even quotes a, a, a passage that says. The zeal of thy house hath eaten me up. <laughs> Jesus was passionate about what he was doing. He operated always in the power of the Holy Spirit as well. And so he had authority because everything he did was based on the word of God, backed up by the word of God. He could point to scripture to, uh, uh, to justify the things that he did, the things that he taught. When he taught on the Sermon on the Mount, he did not say that the words of the 
Ten Commandments or the words of the law were untrue, but he did point out the fact that they misunderstood what was really said. He based everything on the Word of God. When he went into uh, the wilderness, you remember back in the early uh, chapter, chapter number one, Jesus goes into the wildernesses and, and, and is tempted by Satan after he's been there 40 days without food uh, to eat at all. And Satan is tempting him all this time. And Jesus overcomes him by the word of God. He based everything he did on the word of God. He always operated in uh, or acted in the authority of Scripture. And his people must be the same way. We don't have any authority as a preacher. I have no authority when I get out of the Word of God. Uh, I, I grew up or I came up in the ministry with a, a lot of preachers that preached nothing but topical sermons. And what they did basically was they would come up with a sermon and then try to find scripture uh, to go with it as a springboard or a justification to preach, but uh, they felt like that just because they were preaching it and they read one verse of Scripture and never referred to it again, but they felt like just because they were preaching it and they read that Scripture that it was the Word of God and you couldn't question it. You ever been around to people like that? I know Russ has. You can't question that. I'm the man of God. Touch not mine anointing. But you see, Jesus, Jesus operated on Scripture. And God's people, His disciples, his, the apostles that wrote, the ones who wrote the epistles that uh, where we find church doctrine, guess what? They based everything on Scripture. It's not any new Revelation. <laughs> Paul, he, he had some uh, new understanding, didn't he? Those mysteries that were hidden for ages, they were revealed to him, but it wasn't new stuff. It was stuff that hadn't been understood before. And Jesus, as I said, he always operated in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. And I, I think it's good for us to think about that as well as, as far as our lives and our ministry is concerned. Uh, as we serve the Lord, as we try to be faithful Christians, that uh, uh, it's one thing to know scripture it's one thing to stand on scripture but it's another thing to be a, uh, empowered by the holy spirit to depend on the holy spirit to do his work he's the one that can transform lives uh, i think it was uh, vance havner who made this statement he said you can be as straight as a gun barrel i mean you didn't you can have your doctrine and your scripture as straight as an arrow. You can be as straight as a gun barrel.
but just as empty. Think on that. <laughs> Think on these things. Well, all right. And then the question. He answered the question with a question in verse number 29. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. They discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But uh, shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered, Jesus, we do not know. Well, Jesus, I, I read several guys that said that Jesus didn't answer their question. But he did answer their question, didn't he? He answered it with a question. And I mean, uh, that's, that's a, a tactic that people use sometimes. But Jesus did answer their question because the place, the, the authority that he had was the same authority that John the Baptist had. It came from Scripture. It came from God. It came from heaven. John the Baptist, his baptism, and I, I believe when he uh, was asking about the baptism of John, he's just talking about the entire ministry, the whole ministry, this whole phenomenon of John the baptizer, his baptism was his uh, was just part of the, the ministry. He had a mission in chapter 1 and verses 1 through uh, 3. We can read about John's mission that came from Scripture, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This is the mission of John the Baptist. His message was repent. And we can read down through these verses and see uh, what he was preaching. He said, repent. Because, and the only reason you would tell people to repent is because they're sinners, right? You're sinners. You need to repent. And that was his message. You are a sinner. Repent. And the religious leaders did not think they were sinners, so they did not want to repent. They certainly weren't going to do it publicly. And, uh, but John was saying, you must confess that you're a sinner. And that's what, uh, if you read on, that's what happened. People were coming to John, being baptized, confessing their sins. They were repenting of their sins and they were baptized as a public testimony. So his mission was to uh, prepare the way of the Lord, 
to make his path straight. His message was repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And his ministry was pointing men to Jesus. So that's what Jesus is asking them. When John the Baptist said, uh, repent. When John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the Messiah. When John the Baptist came preaching repentance. When John the Baptist said, you need to repent of sin and be baptized as a public uh, testimony. And when John uh, said that uh, his followers should follow Jesus and pointed to me and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. When John said all of that, what was he doing? Was that his message and ministry from God, from heaven? Or did he just make all that stuff up? And they quickly had a business meeting, a council, talked about this thing. And the Holy Spirit, I think it's wonderful, the Holy Spirit listened in on the conversation and preserved it for us. <laughs> but here's the thing that gets me with this whole thing. And you, you know what they said. They, they weighed both sides. They're on what's called the horns of a dilemma. You turn one way, you're in trouble. You turn the other way, you're in trouble. And so they just said, we're not going to answer at all. And uh, they said, we don't know, which that had to be hard for them too, to even say that they didn't know. But, but when you think about this, these guys actually knew what the issues were. They actually knew what the stakes were. They talked this thing over and they, I mean, they had to know. They had to have seen the authority of John the Baptist and the power of his preaching. As a matter of fact, some of them did and went to be baptized. And he said, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? They had to have seen and they had. We know that they had seen Jesus' power and authority. As a matter of fact, they went so far as to when uh, Lazarus, when he raised Lazarus from the dead and people started to believing because of Lazarus, they said, we need to kill him again. Because if we let this go, everybody's going to believe. Read John chapter 11 and 12. It's amazing, isn't it? They knew what the score was. They knew the issues. They knew that it was either from God or from man. And they had to know it wasn't from man. And they chose unbelief. That's how blinded they were. They literally knew the stakes and they knew the issues and they said we're just going to choose unbelief their messiah has come 
and they chose to reject it. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would take these these words scattered as they are and I pray that you would give them some sort of order in our hearts and minds so that they might help us to know you more, to love you more, and to serve you better in Jesus' name. Amen.